Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's season two, episode nineteen of Drive-by Cinema. I am Rick, and I'm. This is Paul. Yeah, I'm his co-host, Paul. Co-hosting, my co-host Paul. Paul. Yeah. The shoe has dropped. I'm afraid. I'm Cinderella. Oh no. <laughs> well, I am sometimes. Fits you very well. Yeah, your glass slipper. Yeah. It's not very practical. You would think as a footwear material, glass. Doesn't really fit with my bottomless underpants either. So there you go, kids. If you're going to see a pantomime this year and it happens to be Cinderella, <laughs> don't let them get away with this scientific inaccuracy. <laughs> Sorry, no. The shoe doesn't fit. The shoe has dropped, Richard. Go on, you were saying. The shoe has dropped. Yeah, finally, the verdict on our historical inaccuracies from our review of a field in England. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think most of our egregious comments and fantasies had fantasies had been edited out by the time it got to public public consumption. No, don't 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 start with that, Paul. Okay. No, it, it was, we got a lot wrong. It was, oh, we got a lot oh. wrong. And, and listen, <laughs> but uh, what I would say is, I think we introduced that whole segment and said during the podcast, and also in the next podcast, we said we didn't, didn't know what we were talking about. We we absolutely we we it was epistemic humility all the way through. We had no clue what we were talking about. Actually, you know, I mean, the only reason I said all that was to avoid a diagnosis of uh, non subclinical uh, narcissism. So, if my psychiatrist is listening, <laughs> tricked you. I I, I care deeply about my opinions, and I'm really insulted that people think that I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I think we said we don't know what we're talking about. These are our ideas. Please correct them. And people are what affronted by what we said. I don't know about a front oh, okay. I think we've annoyed people. But you know, if you if you download a podcast, you go to the effort of listening to some some podcasts where two people are talking. You, at the least we could do is maybe have a faintest clue about anything we say. <laughs> do you mean things like do homework and stuff like that? I know. Yeah. But then, but then you've got to be careful in the Twitter generation. You say, "Well, I've done some research," and then you get somebody going. If you haven't done primary research in a scientific setting, you cannot. Call it research. Sorry, I'm just echoing things that happen on TikTok recently. I, I, I don't know why you're clapping, Paul. It's <laughs> you know terrible it audio. And then people pointed out <laughs> to the secondary research also. And meta-studies too, which is, I guess, tertiary research. Meta-studies are perfectly valid, yeah. And valuable, for, particularly for assessing the effectiveness of medical treatments. It's just post-COVID. Of course, the world has separated people who insist that only primary research can be called research. And the other side of people who tend to... I don't know, drive around on Harleys and, and burn down masts? I don't know. But anyway, I'm in the middle of all this. And Richard, tell us what we did wrong. Oh, well, this is Listener Adam. Listener Adam. It's mostly me, isn't it? That's, no, it's mostly me. <laughs> Finally. And Listener Adam said... There's a sort of vindication here. Hello, Adam, by the way. And thank you for your uh, corrections. Thank you, Adam, for making Richard eat humble pie for once. <laughs> but again, I just want to say... We did say that we didn't know any of this stuff, but Adam said that literally everything I said about the Civil War was incorrect. Oh, well, I, uh, can I second Adam on that <laughs> without actually knowing anything about it? <laughs> well, I made a reference to Blackadder, didn't I? Because I thought it was to do with the Restoration. Uh, apparently, that's 150 years afterwards. Okay. Uh, and Not far and also, out, as things go. It's like 25 instead of 50 on the dartboard. 
And also, the last king we had called Charles wasn't wasn't beheaded. You know, there were other Charleses after that one. Oh, but uh, so, I, I mean, like, you drift. <laughs> I mean, you were making some smudgy, you know, hand wavy kind of comments, weren't you, Richard? I don't think it was meant to be taken any other way, were they? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. I've, Context is everything. All of these points are valid, and we were wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. I, t- I take I take that on board, but. None of this information had any relevance whatsoever to the film. To the film, to the film, it didn't matter, did it? It could, it didn't matter that we were mistaken or. It's like a know. Joe Biden verbal tick, yeah, isn't it? You know, <laughs> that's all it is. It had no relevance to the film, Paul, and there's consequence. You know, that's not our fault. That's the filmmaker's fault. Why was it set in the Civil War? Did he just have a load of costumes left over from a reenactment? I don't know. But there was, there was no reason for it. But apparently also, I'd stated that Cromwell Invited brought the back king. the monarchy. Yeah, I was thinking, is this going to come up? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't do that. Cromwell died in office as Lord Protector. And his son inherited the... Richard Cromwell, yeah. yes. Uh, everything went to pot. He lost grip of power. General Monk requested that Charles II came back and became king again, apparently. Mm-hmm. But not before Puritanism had taken hold in the UK. He also very kindly provided us with a link to the government website for reporting treasure finds, Paul. <laughs> Who did? Adam did. I'm sure you don't need that, do you? I don't, because it, I never found <laughs> any treasure. And, you know, I've moved back. Of course the- you didn't. Legally, nobody nobody could ever. Over the past year, it's been, you know, a torturous uh, sort of process of buying a house and, and, and getting my stuff out of storage when I'm not allowed to access it because of COVID rules. Uh, the person that put it in there can only go and... They're busy in, in another part of the country. So finally, I get, I get you know, I have 47 label boxes out. And if there were any coins that were of value that I might have discovered when I was young, which I didn't, they weren't there anyway. Let me just say that much. So it's been, and this happened this week. So it's funny you should say that. Huh. Apparently, uh, you report treasure to the coroner, according to the website. Whoa. Which is weird, isn't it? So a coroner means what in terms of the original meaning of the word? Belonging to the crown, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, that's right. the word. Isn't so it, it doesn't actually. Word, it doesn't mean to do with death, does it? It means the the official, the the man who puts the official stamp for the crown on things. Is it that kind of meaning originally? What was Quincy M.D. Was he? He was a pathologist, doesn't he? He was. He was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange uh, specialization for a doctor, isn't it? To specialize only in dead bodies. Like, I guess <laughs> if you're. A, if, if you're not particularly good at the doctor's side, <laughs> that's where you maybe end up. <laughs> well, there are lots of vet jokes, aren't there? I think. There's, I think there's like there's a cascading kind of doctor to vet to person who does autopsy. D- to dentist. To dentist no. jokes. Uh, As there is in terms of teachers. Those that can't do teach. Those that can't teach, teach PE. Those that can't teach PE, teach geography and PE. Sort of <laughs> And I have to say, that is so, so true. Because, you know, unpacking my boxes, um, I don't think I'm a particularly onanistic or self-reflective person, but when you're unpacking boxes, it's hard not to look at what's in there. And uh, it's clear to me what the teacher might have been trying to teach, but, you know, from what they were doing, they've just obviously had no idea or had a hangover. So, yeah, I don't know why it's true about geography teachers, but it is. Maybe it's changed. Maybe things are different these days. Who knows? Our geography teacher brought in a load of stuff from the Wild West. Yeah, he was off his head, obviously. 
He had revolvers and stuff, and he, was, he brought them what, in. replica? This is in... No, well, I don't know. They were, this is in Salford. <laughs> and he's bringing revolvers into the classroom. How the West was won, though, you know, that's what he was all about. He's talking about the expansion of territory into to new realms. It was very interesting. No more corrections other than absolutely everything we said about the Civil War. Look, Again, it doesn't matter. No, can does I just it? say Richard's defence? I may, I said so many worse things, I think, in that podcast recording. But because I was doing the editing, it's not, you know, I was editing Richard's crap out also, but it was, I mean, it's only so much you can edit out. But I, I, was, <laughs> I was a bit more swingy with all the ridiculous things I said about that period of British history. So, Richard, you were saying it's time for the music, is it not? It is time for the music. Here we go. Paul, do you know what? At this point, it's been, I don't know, 70, 80 podcasts we've done, something of that order. It has. I think it's about time, I don't think we've done this before, that we start this section with a definition. It's a cliche. My definition is this. Three is the magic number. It's a cliche we've avoided. That's not a definition. That's more like a My definition is. My definition song is, lyric. My definition is. I see. Do you remember that one? <laughs> Oh, blast from the past. 32 years ago, I think. 31 years ago. Soon to be 32 years ago. I'd like the definition for the word parasite. Is that because we're watching the movie Parasite this week? Well, exactly, yeah. Okay. Not to Let's give it away. slow right down on this one because that's not easy. Okay. First of all, I was looking at the word parasite in the Korean. We're watching a Korean movie this week, everybody. Uh, I guess we'll announce it formally in a few minutes. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So, in Korean, if I can find it again... So hold on, it is what is this movie called Gisang, in Korean? Gisangjong. Gisangjong. Which... I've just slaughtered the tonal elements of that. Which, from the Hanja, or the Chinese character, seems to be saying some sort of weird living insect. <laughs> okay, weird living insect. As a starting point, let's look at what the word means in its... Well, I'm going to subvert the, um, the cliché. I'm not going to be looking it up in... Oxford English Dictionary. I'm just going to say what There's I believe. wrong with defining terms. It's, I don't know, Paul. It's considered a cliche, isn't it, in writing and stuff and presentations. No, it's, like, it's absolutely necessary the... in any serious, slightly pompous <laughs> study. <laughs> well, there's no, we are nothing if not slightly pompous. So I suppose we're... Slightly? I, I suppose we're okay. I think that balloon is burst. I mean... So the, a parasite is, and I'm just going to freewheel the definition here, it's an organism which lives off another organism without killing it. Without killing it, that's ah. important, isn't it? Because if it kills you, you know, that's, that's no good, is it? The parasite dies too. You're, you're, it's ecology, in a way. What do you call a human relationship where you kind of de- depend on each other in a bad way? Symbiotic? No, in a bad way. Or codependent. 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 So this isn't codependency, is it? It's, it's just one way. This is just- Usually it's just one way, yeah. The parasite just gets a lot of stuff and you get, like, a mild uh, disease of some kind, don't you, from the parasitic infection. Wow. Sometimes so- not so mild, but often mild. Mild enough that you can carry on, usually. Okay, the next next question, if you want to carry on for $10, Richard, what's the difference between a virus and bacteria? Well... Clever class, ah, no at all. Well, 
Uh, look it up, your dictionary. Here is a single-celled organism <laughs> that can reproduce on its own, but a virus is just RNA in a capsule that cannot reproduce on its own, has to get it inside a cell, insert the RNA into the uh, reproductive mechanisms inside okay. the cell. Okay, you got your $10. $20 question, do you want to continue? <laughs> sure, yeah, let's, let's is go. Is the dormant seed alive? Ah. ah. Got you. Well, got you. philosophical question, got isn't you. it? What is alive, anyway? What is what? What is the definition of life? Can I give you an easy answer here? Okay. You can include in life the definition potential to have life. Oh. That's kind of a cop-out. In which out, case, a, it's a alive. seed is alive, yeah. then. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Is a, dead, is a dead dog an animal? I think it, a dead dog is an animal, yeah. It's not. What's an animal? Oh. Well, it's a multicellular organism with... You know, so is something dead? Is that is that an organism? It's a dead organism, but I think it's still organism an organism. Being what? Well, yes, it's a living thing. A but... living thing. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, you didn't, get, you didn't get the forty dollar question, <laughs> and and the planes just fell out of the sky. Okay, I'm outraged. So... I'm le- I'm leaving this podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I just, I just, this is worse than Formula no One. Bloody reason whatsoever. Uh, you can test so, me, but I'll fail. I've just lost on a technicality. No, you've lost Lewis on a tautology, I think. A, a, a recursive tautology. An oxymoron. Uh, an oxymoron. It's tautology, it's oxymoronic, and it's and it's recursive, I think, at the same time. People say that about you, Paul, but I, 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 well, I, I don't you, agree with it. I hear you whispering behind me. Go on. Go, right, um, well, that's the definition of Parasite. And, and Parasite is the movie we're watching this week. It's from South Korea. It's from 2019. Introduction, exactly. but it's interesting. Why? Because well, we'll 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 see later why that definition is important, won't we? I think well, why living within an organism and not not killing it is pertinent to this film. Now, this I is just remember the word, Richard. Can I interrupt? Okay, you said oh, why yeah. am I, why am I why am I working on Christmas Day? It's because my students uh, has a different habitus. Habitus. Yeah. Okay. Because you like new words. Here we go. Okay. In sociology, habitus comprises socially ingrained habits, skills, and dispositions. It is the way that individuals perceive the social world around them and react to it. Ah. Oh. You see. So it's habitus is different. I see. Yeah. Okay. It's a word that probably needed coining because I it represents something different from culture but related to it. It's sort of more personal by the sound of it than. While you do that, I'm going to use the name Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. He's the Korean gentleman who is the director of and uh, writer of this film. And we've seen another movie by him, haven't we? We have, and that was that stuff about Snow. Snowpiercer. All right, Snowpiercer, 2013. Exactly. And Snowpiercer, I think... Like Parasite has some issues about class and privilege. Did he appear in Snowpiercer as the young girl's father? No, it wasn't him. No. No. No, different guy. Uh, he might have had a cameo, though. It sounds like the kind of thing he might do, doesn't it? But no, I don't, I don't think so. Right, okay. So you I've found your, defi- I've you you found your definition. Okay, so yeah, so the, the, you know, it's from the Greek, via Latin, parasitos. The person who eats at a table of another. Para, beside, uh-huh. obviously. And sitos, food. That's even more appropriate, isn't it? Mm. In, a, in a sense. 
So like back it. to your original point, which was this is all about class struggle. Well, Snowpiercer was about class, and Parasite has strong elements about class Definitely. and privilege. And I think the director has explicitly said what his take on, you know, on what it, what it all means is. So it centres around centres around the Kim family. And they are an underprivileged family, really struggling, living in a basement kind of dwelling. I think it's called a semi basement dwelling. It's like semi basement. You can see if you you, you know the the, uh, the pavement rises above the bottom of the window. So, yeah. You know, the ground is most covering most of the window to to look outside kind of thing. But yeah. Now, we've got the dad, who I think at the start is not working, the mum. Well, I don't think any of them are working at the start, are they? In fact, what they're doing at the start to get money is they fold pizza boxes for the local pizza <laughs> pizza outlet. And I love how there's a, there's a scene where they've been watching a YouTube video on how to fold them really quickly. <laughs> Which is a great it's idea. True. It's true. your productivity, yeah. I just said someone in 2004, actually, when I was trying to break the... Um, the pizza box market. No, I was trying to break <laughs> the uh, cooked vegetable in a silver tray market. Uh, <laughs> right, it's such a thing. <laughs> we, it didn't take off. Booths, the, you know, the Northern Supermarket, Northern Bosch Supermarket, to their eternal credit, did take our products. Not before sticking a thermometer in there. Because the only van I could afford was a really crappy old Ford Transit with no refrigerator in the back. So as soon as we made them on the production line, we had to stick it in the freezer for about two hours to get them down to minus one. And I had to peg it all the way down to, where was it? Preston, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. To the big booze sort of, uh, you know, reception for goods in kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, make sure it was other Ford. When you say vegetables in a silver tray, what it's, you make it sound very fancy. What, is it like a... A parsnip, but artfully presented. Well, it's like chop up a, a parsnip, chop up, chop up a potato, chop up some carrots, and then cover it right. in this sage and oil dripping thing. Okay, and do you cook it, or is it ready for cooking? It's re- well, it's in a silver tray. It's ready to be slammed in, slammed in with a the lamp. Tray. I, think. I see. Actually, that's not not a terrible idea. Possibly a product I might even have bought if uh, if I'd hmm. been to Booths ever, which I haven't. There we go. Anyway, so when we when I was doing that, of course, we had to make up the. I mean, we used to put tw- twenty four of them on those low in those low cardboard boxes. You know, the kind of cardboard boxes you get oranges in and that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. like they're, they're wide and wide and deep, but they're not very tall. Like a crate or a tray or something. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a flip flip, and then sort of push the sides and anyway, it was complex sort of uh, series. And uh, like the Polish guy who was working. For us, who was just finished at Kirk and Grammar, he discovered a, th- a way to do it in eighteen hand movements instead of twenty-three, and we're all really proud of that fact. So, <laughs> so yeah. But I, I guess these days you just watch a YouTube video to get the eighteen hand movement for making a box. I love how there are guys who whose job it is to do a kind of origami thing with cardboard and die cut card and stuff, so that it all folds up into different boxes for different things especially nowadays since they are trying to eliminate you know polystyrene yeah from consumer goods now everything comes in a really amazingly constructed cardboard kind of flappy thing all folded up so some engineer has to work all that out it's brilliant it it's amazing brilliant. i i hope that there's some computer thing nowadays where you tell it what shape you want 
and the computer works out where where to fold the card up and stuff and where to cut and slice and where to that's I, I may have a look for that later maybe sounds like a nice bit of software sorry I've interrupted you Richard you were just reprising the beginning of the story okay there's a, there's a family of four they're down the hills economically uh, and the young son has got a mate who's just leaving for university and prizes him or gifts him a study stone which is apparently is a Korean thing this is it. Uh, uh, yeah, Scholar's Stone. Ah, thank you. Scholar's That's Stone. Scholar's Stone, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting object, that. And apparently a thing. I think it, you know, obviously it has resonance in Korean culture. And habitus, even. I don't know. I only ever taught primary school kids in Korea. Uh, and for them, it was a flower. Like a bouquet. What? Yeah. So, like, on the test day and the graduation day... They'd have this huge sort of very artificial flower in those kind of primary Korean colours. You know the chaebok they wear, the kind of Korean mm. vestments, and like that, that pink and that green and that yeah, those kind of colours that you might say were look like colours from a socialist country or, or a communist. A bit country. lurid, yeah, lurid yeah. and kind of like uh, anyway. So, but then they have this huge bouquet of flowers or bouquet. Uh, and it's just very artificial in those kind of lurid colours, and it's a big thing, apparently. So. With lollipops in, too, I seem to remember. And they do that for study, for, for exams? What yeah, do you mean? like, during the exam, they'll all bring in these big bouquets. Weird. With lollipops. With lollipops stuck inside them. It's very strange. But there you go. Oh, it's not strange, I guess, in their habitus. <laughs> so we meet... The brother, the, the the boy of the family, Kiwu, I think he's... He is, is called Kiwu, thank you, yeah. And he's not a college student, but his richer or sort of more more successful friend is a college student. And he's trying to hook Kiwu up, isn't he? He's he going, says, here's listen... A, here's a study stone, by the way, take over my job. Yeah, I'm leaving. He's going, he's going away for a year, on a gap year or whatever. And he's been teaching a rich family's daughter English... And uh, he's suggesting, really, that Kiwu takes over from him, even though Kiwu's not a college student. He says, you know, you've done the, you've done and failed the exam so many times now that you know it back to front. So you'd be fine doing the study stuff. And, you know, it's good money, so do it. It's a really interesting dynamic that... Do you know what, Paul? I know we said this before we started recording, but this is a, an amazing film. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. I was stunned. I was just wowed out by it. You know, even these little details of these this little scene is so amazing. You know, in many films, this would be just throw away and you might forget about it. But, you know, it's setting up so many things about the character of Kiwu and the character of this guy, who we don't see again, by the way. Mm. He's gone now. He's out of the film. But it's so beautifully set up. I've only two words for uh, that. It's consummate storytelling, this movie. It's, absolutely, it's, yeah. It's knockout. It really is. I was blown away by this. Spoiler alert. But, yeah... Yeah, so so he's like, well, he's, he's hesitant, but he goes along, and then like he's got this just this talent for like really hoodwinking people. He gets in there, you know, and he arrives, you know, in, in the kind of extensively wooden wooden floored, beautiful modernist oh. house. Which now hold on, yeah. So so this house, which was supposed to be des- uh, an architect's house, so an yes. architect was supposed to have uh, designed it and built it and lived in it before the family that occupy it did. I want, I want to say something about this, Paul. I, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the special effects in this film. 
<laughs> don't know what you mean. The yeah, were not. The special effects. Well, that suggests to me that the special effects were amazing. Because you know something? That house doesn't really exist. Wow. They, I mean, they did actually build the first floor, I think, of the house. But when you look at it on screen and when they're presenting it, the exterior, the garden with all the trees, there aren't as many trees there in real life. Most of the trees are added. The vegetation is added in CGI. The upper floor of the building was added in CGI. Wow. There's huge amounts of special effects in this film that are completely invisible. Completely invisible. That's amazing. The Matrix has finally come into being. (laughs) Wow, so it's like AR special effects. Well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) In a hand-wavy kind of way. Okay, so so this sets it up, and he goes in there, and like he starts teaching the, the the daughter English, and he's he's like he's just got a knack for like saying those kind of chicken soup inspirational things that you're supposed to say to students, and coming across as you know being very much a genuine tutor kind of thing. So you've you've missed a little step here though that I thought that again is really beautiful way of setting this up because in order to guarantee. That he gets in and gets the job. Because he has to go for a little interview, doesn't he? He gets his sister, who's called Ki Jung, I think. He gets his sister to give him a, a college certificate, like a, do- a diploma. And she forges it on the computer. Because uh, she's really, obviously, really good at art and stuff. In fact, she's a very talented young lady. In, in a way, the star of the, I think, the star of the show. But she gives, I think it ends up being from Oxford, this diploma that he goes with. But in the end, the when he goes to the interview, the mum of the house who meets him says, listen, you come for, with a recommendation, you know, so all of this stuff I don't care about. So yeah, sure, you know, start, when can you start kind of thing. But it's important to note that he's ro- already roped his sister in to help with this, isn't it? So I don't know, at some point, they, he concocts or, you know, the the germination, the seed is set for him to begin to think about taking this deception, if you like, uh, a little bit further and a little bit bigger. I don't know how's it how's it phrased in the movie. So, who is this rich family that he's now getting in with? Then you got uh, you got the mum, you got the daughter Da Hai. She's your typical kind of spoiled rich girl, kind of sulky. They're quite nice um, with it, actually. Rebellious, kind of, but secretly quite, quite quiet. There's a little boy who is a little bit, again, he's coddled and spoiled, isn't he? And a oh, bit slightly weird. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's the dad, who I think his English name is Nathan, Nathan Park. That's right, yeah. And he's some kind of well to do businessman. Obviously, he can afford this expensive house. And they can afford a servant. So a servant, sort of a housemaid who lives there, cooks for them and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there a little dog as well? I think there's a there little dog. There is a little dog. And a chauffeur. And the chauffeur, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, as you say, um, is he called Kevin? Is that his English name? Kevin is the name of... Uh, our hero, our hero, Choi, or anti-heroes, you might, might put it. Uh, Choi Wushik, the guy who becomes the tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says to the 
the the girl that he's tutoring at, at one point, as you say, he's very good at these aphorisms. He says, "An exam is like slashing through a jungle. Lose that momentum, and you're screwed." <laughs> <laughs> he's very good at it, you know. She finds him inspirational. In fact, she basically falls in love with him, doesn't she? She develops a bit more than a crush. Yeah, yeah. Besotted with him, she's jealous um, because at some point, you know, he embroils his sister into this deception. She turns up at the house. We'll get into that later, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, the student is jealous, visibly and vocally jealous about his, his sister. Who he doesn't, she doesn't know that it's actually his sister. And it seems it's his girlfriend. And he says, well, you know, she may well be a rose, but then you, and he looks deep into your eyes, ah, <laughs> and then he writes something down on a piece of paper, you know, and gives it to her like a love letter. And at that point... A kiss and uh, yeah. now the thing about that romance is he we already know I think that his mate his rich mate who got in this job was already into this girl right yes because I think he'd mentioned that uh, they had a bit of a thing that's right yeah yeah so what's interesting is you we already know that our hero if you can call him that even he's prepared to sell his mate's relationship down the down the river straight away absolutely he's, yeah, yeah he's right in there isn't he. And as you say, he gets his... The mother is talking about needing some assistance for the little boy. And he says that he knows someone who is good at art therapy and child psychology and stuff, because this little boy is supposedly a bit troubled. And um, so he suggests that his sister, without saying that it's his sister, as you say, would, I think they call her Jessica, don't they, when she turns up would be ideal for this. He's heard about her through friends and stuff, but she's very difficult to get hold of. But maybe he can arrange for an interview. So his sister turns up. And his sister's brilliant because she completely takes charge, doesn't she? Well, she, she, she has a wonderful sales pitch. She keeps she keeps that pay up, pay up payment right on the runway by saying, look, I've looked at his art and he has deep psychological problems. I can help <laughs> uh, providing you pay me art therapy fees and the art, art teacher fees. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean... And this is where a kind of bigger plan starts to I come I think at this point view. they realise, yeah, this is quite easy. We can take this bigger. Yeah. You see them in the evening when they're chatting about uh, the, the the Kim family, when they're chatting about stuff. And they live in terrible conditions, don't they? Yeah. And they, this guy is pissing up against the window in the little alleyway. That alleyway, by the way, in that house, completely made up on a stage, no. soundstage. Stop right yeah. now. And the background, again, CGI, so the the distant shots there are all CGI. Because if you think about it, they flood it later. Spoiler alert. So the uh, they're chatting about how he's getting on in this household, aren't they? And it, as you say, he's basically saying, you know, that they're, they're kind of easy and trusting and stuff. This whole thing is a little bit like, it's reminiscent of bread. You know, the old Carla Lane It is a little reminiscent of bread. Where you've got a family really struggling to make ends meet. Doing whatever they can. Less They're reminiscent like of Miss, what you call Mrs. Brown's boys. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I knew that would fuck annoy you. you. Sorry. I, I, only, I only brought that to annoy Richard. No, no, you're right. It is reminiscent of Bread by Carlin. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, that idea that, you know, whatever they can do is permissible. You know, that the morality. I say, one, one thing you could say about both of those works is it treats this whole subject of the criminality that they're prepared to undertake a bit lightheartedly. And you might argue that it sets sort of a a tyranny of low expectations for the underprivileged, 
many of whom wouldn't consider doing anything immoral. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who find themselves in tough situations who, you know, wouldn't steal or defraud people. Um, so, sure, but I mean, there are various political per- perceptions that would say they did nothing wrong. It's their right. Sure. it's their right yeah. to seize property and to to do this kind of stuff. Absolutely, I don't mean that as a judgment on on what Kim family are doing, what mm. the family and bread are doing, and such. To, but to say that you know you have to accept that there are also people in the same circumstances who don't do, who would things, not, yeah. who don't do those things. Never consider, would consider these, it yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 And then farther later on in the movie, you know, he he because there's so much humor. There's lots of black humor in this movie. We'll get on yeah. to. But there's so much you know, so, so social, well observed. Uh, Social commentary and you know observational comedy that's going on here. And the father says, you know, oh, the, the mum says, are oh, they? No, the father says, are oh, they? They're quite nice. These people, you know. And then the mother says, the the, the Kim family mother says, well, it, are they nice and rich, or are they just nice because they're rich? because they're rich? And the father <laughs> says, you're right, you're right. They just have no creases. Money is like an mm. iron, and uh, you know. I thought that was just really well observed, but yes. but what it's pointing to is you know the first world neuroticisms of the Park family mother. You know the fact she's obsessed with her son's drawings and worried about what they could mean. You know all this <laughs> all this flapping that she does about things that are relatively trivial. You know it's just all yeah. of that is just very 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 finely detailed and really well observed. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. So the plan that they've got then. They kick this into action. So I think the next plan is to try and get the dad employed as as the the chauffeur. So what they do is... Shoehorn shoehorn every member of their family into the Parks family's residence. It's incredible. So the sister is leaving quite, you know, late into the evening. And it's dark outside. And, of course, the family suggests... uh, The mum or the dad, I can't remember, suggests... I think the dad's just turned up. Nathan has just turned up. Suggests, uh, oh, you know, the driver will take you home. So uh, she hops into the family Benz. They call them Benzes, don't they? Uh, And she's being driven home by the chauffeur. And she insists, insists that she gets dropped at the station because she daren't let him see where she lives. Because they think she's like a middle class kind of expert student. Just back from, yeah, just back from two years sabbatical in the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, but what she does is she's in the back of the Benz, being driven to the station, and she whips off her knickers in the back seat, <laughs> and she shoves them down the side of the seat or under the seat or something, with the intention that they're going to be found later, as they are, as indeed they are. Yeah. And so the assertion here is that. The chauffeur is shagging girls in the back of the family limo. <laughs> it's the funny thing. It's like the the park, you know, park fam- family mother and father discussing this, and uh, it's just uh, just the ridiculous perspectives that the rich woman has. You know, so who would leave their knickers in a car? <gasps> Only a girl who's on crack <laughs> or cocaine. Don't say that in front of the children. You know, and all that. You know. Just the ideas bubble and take take control in their minds, and the only thing they can do is fire the chauffeur. Which they do discreetly, without letting him know why. And, of course, uh, our hero, uh, Kevin, knows of a chauffeur that he's heard about, like on the grapevine, who would be good. And so, uh, I think he hands Nathan a card from some service or something. That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, or that might be the dad later to get the mum imported, but 
in any event, of course, they, they get the dad to be the chauffeur. Uh, and then they need to get their mum a job. So who's in the targets now? It's the housekeeper. <laughs> and they figured out that she's got... There's never any peaches in the house. And the reason for this is the housekeeper has got a terrible allergy to peaches. So they basically they poison her with peach fuzz. And... <laughs> But this is a, this is a coup de grace, okay? Is okay. So she's obviously gone to the hospital, and uh, the father, who's now working for the part family, takes a photo of himself as if he was visiting the hospital by accident. With and in the selfie background is is the housemaid coughing and wheezing, kind of thing. Yeah. And he comes back to the part family and says, "Look, you know, I don't want to tell you this, but I overheard. And what were the chances of this? But I overheard her saying on the phone while she was there, she had tuberculosis." Yeah. And he goes over to the bin where she'd been coughing into a handkerchief because of her allergy. And he's got a packet of sauce or something, hasn't he, in his hand. And he puts it on the handkerchief and pulls it out of the bin. That's right. <laughs> well, what would you do if you thought your housekeeper had tuberculosis? I guess you'd get rid of him if you were rich, wouldn't you? So off she goes and in comes the mother of the Kim family. The quadrant yeah. is complete and all four of them are in there. Earning top dollar, you guess. Uh, for this uh, for this rich family, and that's it. They've done it, haven't they? they? They've now all got jobs. You think they could, you know, retire happily and go to heaven, kind of thing? Not so fast. Oh, Paul. So what happens to disturb the apple cart? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never, I, I never saw this coming. I have to say, it's like, oh, well, let's just say about this film, right? This film has a twist in it, and. Unlike almost any other film with a twist, this is genuinely surprising. I Indeed, never saw it coming, ever. I think this is so surprising. I don't think I... I think even the second time around, it still surprised me. <laughs> you can't spoil a good film, and you can't spoil a good film. Here comes the spoiler. Uh, there is a spoiler, and, you know, Parasite is an amazing film, even if you know it. But there is a spoiler here, and we, we are going to reveal it. But not quite yet. First, the, the rich family are going to go on a camping trip. So they pack everything up and as soon as they're out the door, basically, uh, the entire Kim family turn up. Obviously, only the mum was there as the housekeeper, but they all show up, don't they? And they all just go hog fucking wild in this crazy house. I mean, I, like, I understand, you know, it'd be very hard not to. <laughs> I think I, I would I think I would resist that temptation to just kick off, kick off, you know, kick off the shoes and go wild whilst they were away. But they are doing the job, right? The dad is being a chauffeur. The mum is being the housekeeper. The, the, Kevin is teaching English. I don't know about the sister's qualifications in art psychology. But, you know, they are looking after that family. So, that you know, but, okay, but, but then why pretenses. Have, but then why, yeah. why drink all their whiskey when they're away on a camping trip? <laughs> I just wouldn't push... I, personally, I wouldn't push my luck so far. But then... Wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have had the confidence to do what they did, so there we go. But, you know, you've got to remember where they live, right? They live in horrible circumstances. And there is a thread that runs through the film where Nathan Park says to his wife, you know, you know, Mr. Kim is great, you know, he's, he's, he's a great chauffeur. He doesn't, he goes up to the line, but he doesn't cross the line. But the only thing is, is that smell, you know, the smell of cabbage. basement. Of cabbage, yeah, yeah. The, the musty smell that his clothes have that you know pervades the back of the, the 
It bends. He's really detailed about it, you know, and they, they go on to, you know, portly suggest, you know, you sometimes smell it in the underground. People on the underground smell like this too. So. Well, th- th- this is brilliant, isn't it? Be- uh, there's two amazing things about this. One is it's obviously an allegory for, yes, you know, the class and underclass, for the, you know, the stench of being poor. But it, it it's literally true as well, of course. I mean, they can't possibly be able to dry their clothes properly in their semi-basement. True. And... I'm sure his clothes do smell musty. And, of course, you know, you can't get that experience on film. You know, there's no smell-o-vision. I, I, I imagine it's like the musty smell when you leave your clothes in the washing machine for too long. The mildewy smell. Yeah. That's what I imagine it is. And if you want to know more, the, the husband of the rich family describes it at length. You know, the different kinds of smell it could be uh, during the movie. Yeah, yeah. And the kid, the little boy... Recognizes that the smell yeah. he smells on the father is the same as the smell on the mum, and the housekeeper, and the other two also. But he yeah. shoot away, and the parents think none of it. Wow! So you know they go away, and then there's a torrential monsoon rainstorm, isn't there? As they as the rich family have headed off to camp. That's right. Uh, and during this evening, this night, the ex housekeeper. Shows up at the door and rings the bell. And, uh, you know, they all panic. Who the hell is, you know, arriving at this time? And the, the mum goes to. Well, they're all so drunk, you know, on, on, on their host whiskey here. Yeah. I thought actually, before she turns up, you know, they're tete a tete, they're kind of a confessional moment, the four of them having, you know, they're kind of, they're in the afterglow of having, you know, essentially succeeded at this massive deception. Uh, and I thought that's a really nice moment where they're kind of reflecting on their futures, and just, you know, let him rip with their real feelings, you know. Uh, you get a sense of how close they are as a family. Uh, and, you know, some sort of, a sense of underclass solidarity. The, perhaps people you know, who have never been in those situations wouldn't necessarily appreciate. But anyway, so Ding Dong, all that's interrupted, and she rings on the door, she's wet through, she looks like she's damaged in some sort of way, you know, she's got a cut on her lip, and she's kind of uh, asking... She's got, uh, she's got the effects of the peach uh, allergy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they fed her a shit ton of peach fuss, didn't they? That's one. <laughs> she said, "Let me in, let me in, let me in." There's something I've forgotten to take in the kitchen because they threw me out so quickly. Mother Kim answers the door on the video cam, and then she does let her in. Actually, yeah, know. I thought it was a mistake on that part. What if you're left in the kitchen? I'll go and get it for you. <laughs> That's what you'd have done. Yeah. But that's not going to work, is it? Because we know what was really been left. Really, really. Oh, fire, yeah. Big plot spoiler. So, uh, so, in fact, what she's left, and she goes down into the kitchen, <laughs> which is in a basement kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, or, or rather, under the kitchen, there's well, a kind of Well, it's in the nuclear bunker area. kind of thing, or, or the North Korean invasion bunker that rich that's families it. have. But nobody knows about it. Nobody the, knows. The about Park it, family don't know about it. She knows how to move a shelving unit in the basement, and when she does that, there's a a, a stairwell. The second set of stairs, down. yeah. Because she's already in the basement. She's already in the cell. That's right. And it's a That's secondary right. sort of uh, you know nuclear bunker kind of you know safe out place, safe space. That's down there. Labyrinthine corridors. Down she goes to reveal. To reveal her husband, her husband, who has been living in this bunker space that nobody else knows about, ever since, presumably ever since the architect moved out and sold the place to the Park family, 
It's been living down in a little sort of cot bed. Well, like the transpires for four years, yeah. Yeah, he can come up at night and uh, get food, and she takes him food, or she used to take him food down as well. And, and have sex, presumably. And now he's been left down there since she's been fired, of course, for she's you know, several days. Yeah, she's worried that he's starved she's... to death. So, obviously, this creates a conflict. <laughs> and there is there is a crazy fight. Well, I mean, originally, she's, she's apologetic, you know, saying, look, can you help me, please, please, please? I'm begging you. And she's just talking to the new housemaid, the Kim mother. But, of course, people are eavesdropping. The other three are drunk and eavesdropping. They fall down the stairs and reveal themselves. And as they hurt themselves down the stairs, you know, they they call each other dad and son and that kind of thing. However, the old house house housemaid is, is videotaping or is taping all this on her phone, phone, you know, yeah. as evidence. And, wow, now there's a standoff in terms of, in terms of vulnerabilities, isn't there? Yeah, and she's holding them hostage, basically. She's saying she's going to send it to the Park family. Uh, and they're all, you know, kind of, okay, yeah, we'll do whatever you like. She gets him to do dumb things, doesn't she? Like, uh, it's, it's it's a very kind of uh, dom, dom sub thing going on there when yes. she's getting to do stuff. Uh, which, again, it's beautifully observed, you know, the power dynamic, how she's been humiliated, and then she obviously pieces together that it's all been part of the plan. Um, and this is, you know, the, the tension that they're building in this movie is amazing, isn't it? Uh, as they seem to be just a button press away from being exposed to the Park family. Uh, but there's a fight, isn't it, in there? Mm-hmm. And they manage to prevail, uh, at least By rubbing Peach in her face again, I think. Or was it a second? Was it a later time? I can't uh, remember. I'm not sure about that. I think they don't they push her down the stairs. And she also gets lock, pushed down the stairs, yeah. Lock, lock them in the basement. Close, close the thing and lock it. While this is going on, um, it's been torrential rain outside all night. Absolutely hoofing it down. And they get a phone call from the Park family, who've given up on the whole camping thing because, you know, the place is flooded and closed and whatever. And uh, it's the mum of the Park family is saying, you know, run away. You know, we're 10 minutes away. Can you make some ramdom? Which, interestingly, is a dish that's sort of made up for this film, apparently. Yeah. Which is why, partly why maybe Mum Kim doesn't know what the hell it is. <laughs> it seems to be Zajang noodles with uh, with some sirloin steak. Roughly. Well, yeah, it, it, that's it. It's, it's basically, as you say, it, it's basically ramen noodles. You know, really cheap food. With the most expensive steak in the world <laughs> shoved into it. <laughs> so they've been drinking their smashed whiskey bottles all over the place. There's evidence of the struggle that's occurred to push, you know, the uh, the uh, the ex housekeeper and and a secret, uh, secretly squirrelled away husband back down the cellar stairs. Uh, they've got eight minutes to do that and make noodles at the same time. And of course, <laughs> there's a symphony of activity and the three of them that shouldn't be there slide underneath the coffee table in the main living room as, as the family, as the rich family return to their, to their, to their abode. Beautiful. One of the things about this uh, film, as I said, is that house, you know, it didn't exist. So they built it for the film. And, you know, the house is part of the whole character of the movie. It's very much, it's a sort of another character. And because that table, that, that coffee table, is enormous. It's big enough for three of the family, the Kim family, to hide under <laughs> in the lounge while 
while the parks come home and sit around the sofa. Um, it's beautiful. It's, be- it's beautiful set design and it's beautiful part of the writing of the film. So the yeah, tenterhook tension just does not stop there, you know. At every point from now on, it's like they're in the house where they shouldn't be. There's, you know, people maybe going to be banging on the cellar door to be heard, and you know they're almost discovered, almost discovered, almost discovered at every step of the, in every, you know, at every point, every step of the way. So yeah, Brilliant. little boy decides to sleep outside in his teepee in the garden, and this house is of course all glass at the front. So it's got this massive glass-fronted thing overlooking the, the the lawn at the back. And um, so they're a bit uncomfortable that the kid is outside in the in the storm in the teepee, but um, they decide to stay on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> and then have rich people sex. Uh, yeah, exactly. They, they shag on the sofa while the Kim family are hiding underneath the coffee table six feet away. <laughs> Now, around this time, we kind of get the setup for the final black humour humor coup de grace, which is the reason the mother thinks that the son is so problematic and troubled is during their first year in this house, he said he saw a ghost. Wow. We now understand that it wasn't the ghost. It was actually the secluded, the, you know, the secluded husband who was hiding away in the cellar who had popped up for food and, and, mm. and was discovered by the son. And he also operates the lights in the house, some of which seem to respond to people coming home and automatically switch on. But it's not automatic. He's downstairs <laughs> pressing the light switch when he sees your little CCTV camera. <laughs> so he's got a little bit potty, you know. He's, he's, he's very thankful to this family for, for letting, them, letting him hide away, even though they're not where he's hiding away in the home. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I think he's... His character is drawn really, really well. I mean, it's a very comic representation of somebody who's kind of losing, hasn't lost their marbles, but he's kind of losing their marbles through being so horribly isolated and confined. Uh, and yeah, really well done, I thought that. Now, the Kims managed to escape from under the coffee table, or three of them, anyway. Whilst Excruciating, the... Excruciatingly almost discovered manner, yeah. It's just. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's very tense. And the run back home and because of this torrential downpour that's happening their street is flooding there's water pouring down the street yeah. and sewage water is inundating their semi-basement place why by the way do the kims have a toilet high up like that's quite normal yeah really yeah. well a korean thing to have a, a toilet it's a, high it's up. an asian thing you know the toilet is higher up or like on a like a raised kind of on a tiled pump. area in the bathroom, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Deeply weird, isn't it? But it's a thing out there. I don't know why. The toilet's a big part of it, isn't it? Because, um, well, they don't have a very big place, so the bathroom... Yeah. I think it's the only place they could get cell phone reception, wasn't it? By okay. sitting on the toilet yeah. and holding their phone near the window. But also, at this point, with everything flooding, because they're in a semi-basement They rush place, to ret- retrieve their valuables, or what little valuables they have. What little they've got. And there's sewage coming up through that toilet. It's horrific, isn't it? Now, the climax of this film is the kid's birthday party, isn't it? So they've gotten away with this debacle so far. (laughs) Apart from a madman and possibly a mad lady living locked up in the cellar. In the cellar, yeah. It seems that they're home and dry. 
They got away with it. They got away with it. But now they're preparing for the little kid's birthday party. And obviously the housemaid, Kim Mother, is going to be there cooking and prepping and doing stuff. And uh, both Kevin and Jessica, his sister, have been invited as well. So obviously Jessica's there to look after the kid. Meanwhile, of course, the rich daughter is keen to get some alone time with Kevin and Shaggin, presumably, at some stage as well. Um, And at this point, everything goes wrong. But I confess, I'm not sure I can piece together all of the things that happen. The guy who's in hiding, or not in hiding, I guess, but the guy who was in hiding, somehow manages to get out of the cellar, but I'm not quite sure how... Oh! No, because the sun goes down. Oh, yeah. Kevin goes down for some reason and gets tied up by him. I I don't know. In any case, so Kevin enters the the cellar, presumably to find out what's happened to to the couple, the ex-housekeeper and her husband, uh, and is attacked. He Uh, finds that the woman has died. Yeah. uh, Because of the concussion. Uh, The kid is attacked by her husband. He bludgeons his head with the scholar's rock. <laughs> and then runs out, covered his face covered in blood. The very image of the ghost of the Indians. himself. The, yeah. the Indians are also the very image of the ghost that the kid had seen, which is uh, actually just yeah. the same guy anyway, you see. So that, I think, was like, you know, the, the, the black humour coup de gras, I think, of, of the movie. And, uh, yeah. He wants, he wants vengeance on the family, and he stabs Jessica K. Jung. Uh, you know, I hit her sister yeah. with a kitchen knife. All of the party guests are obviously horrified. Um, and there's obviously a fight b- breaks out. Uh, and it's not Hollywood, so these people do die. Korean movies are not afraid of tragedy. That's right. Um, but Mr. Kim does get away, doesn't he? He, is, he seemingly escapes. He runs out of the garden and you see him go down into the street outside and he pauses by the garage uh, sort of doors at the bottom but um, he seems to have got away from the scene of the crime at the moment. Cuts Meanwhile, to the denouement, yeah. Oh sorry. Well, so we, we discover that Jessica dies from her injuries. Uh, we discover that Kevin uh, is okay. He recovers with, from his concussion. And The denouement uh, is, you know, the, he's you know, read his rights by the detective detective in the hospital and he's trailed in the hope of finding his his father. His father. Yeah. Who fled. But nothing ever comes of it. So But it turns out he keeps going back to a place where he can overlook the backyard of that house. And he's noticed that the lights at the back keep flicking. Wow. On and off, on and off. And he deduces that this is Morse code and writes it down and decodes it and thinks that it's a message from his father who has been hiding all this time in the basement. Well, of course, the house is up for sale, you see. And there's a sequence in which he imagines an era where he's been able to earn enough money to buy the house and become the owner, finally. And then he talks about how, finally, his father will be able to come out of the basement. But that was all in his imagination, yeah, well, I mean, we're going to disagree on this because we disagreed on extracurricular in the ending there. <laughs> you said, you know, they definitely died, died uh, in extracurricular. I'm not sure they did. 
Uh, and I'm not sh- I'm not sure it's clear here, Richard, but you seem to agree with me on that one. I would take it I would take this as his imagination. Maybe Whoa. all of this happens when he's in a coma in a concussion. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you know But it's nice and fuzzy, I think, the fact we don't know whether he's imagining it or not, and whether he's when he's decoding the most co- most cold most Is that real? Most, that when real? he's on when he's decoding the Morse code on the sub subway, is he just being a batty, crazy crazy guy or is it you know did he actually see the light flickering and overinterpret it because of what's happened so I, I think that's left very nicely open-ended I think we just don't know yeah and yeah. he doesn't know you know he gets no closure no chance of closure in his lifetime until he can see his father again which he never will do presumably so so we're left with that that sense of loss that you know unfillable hole that lost 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 le- leads us to so I thought that was very very touching really as an ending it's an amazing ending. It's an amazing film. Uh, you know, let's... I mean, we'll get to scores, I suppose, mm. but uh, this has been... Uh, I mean, I'd seen this before. I don't, I don't, had you seen uh, this before? No, no. I, thought, I knew this was a cracker, but uh, second time around, it's every bit as good and it's every bit as entertaining. I think it's easily one of the best films we've seen in this podcast series. Yeah, can I just can I give a shout-out to the music? The music is so... So tantalizing, it just taunts and teases you. You know, it's it's, a, it's a, mostly a classical score, but it yes. kind of like yep. when these ridiculously humorous things are happening, the music is there just sort of <laughs> putting on this faux serious front to it all. It's just the music just fits it perfectly. It's the very defi- definition of black comedy, isn't it? it oh, it, yeah, it treads that line so brilliantly. Um, yeah. Very clever, very good. Uh, good, just gushing about this film, basically. So, I mean, there's lots to say about what it's all trying to say, and you know, if you, if you read any review of it, I mean, there are many things it probably is trying to say, and they, they kind of point it all out. One thing I would like to spot you is the structural upstairs, downstairs of everything. You know, when the flood hap- when the monsoon flood happens, they rush down. You know, it's very, yeah. it's very explicit the way they're rushing down into, you know. A, a lower class hell, if you like, you know. And there's, yeah, there's, there's a scene where they're running down this staircase, you know, this exterior, like, yes, public staircase. Yes, precisely scene, yeah, yeah. So all that's really explicit, and obviously... Cracking. So if we were to score, Paul, this movie, in terms of acting, say... Yeah, I, I'd give the acting an eight and a half. I know you want to go higher. You probably should go higher. Well, it's it's always difficult when you're viewing something in a different language. Yeah, isn't it? Um, it's difficult to understand how they're delivering the lines and stuff. But the the sort of quiet dignity of Kim, father, the, the, yes. the father of the Kim family, yeah. is amazing. I, the sister is so stand out because she's just so clever and and sassy and smart. What about the ex-housewife who does an impression of North Korean newsreaders? That was an amazing <laughs> acting moment. <laughs> That's true. That is true, yeah. She's a little bit caricature isn't she? She's a little bit kind of... Pudgy. Mrs. Doubtfire-y. Yeah, you know, pudgy, piggish, yeah. sort of like house, house, house mistress kind of thing. But as you say, she really comes sort of out of a shell into her own when she's not 
because she, in the she role. would be putting on an act, right? You know, like like any anybody in a service job. Well, the husband says that you know, the Kim family husband says, you know, she looks like a sheep, but actually inside she's a fox. And dude, <laughs> yeah. we see that she has her own life and she has a sex life and she has a husband. Well, you know, a confined, concealed husband, but and and also a really cracking sense of humour. So, so yeah, even the supporting cast, as it were, are all excellent. Really good. Uh, so I'll, I'll go nine, I think. Okay, what about the plot? I mean, with the storyline, I've got to go 10 on this because, I mean, I can't fault it in any way. It was just so tense. You know, I was really rooting for them, even though they're essentially, it's, it's certain sort of ways, such bad people. But you can't help when, 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 when you're on tenterhooks and they're almost being discovered at every moment, but not in yeah. a really corny way and not, not yeah. in a kind of cliche way that you'd expect. Every twist and turn is unexpected and it's just brilliant. I can't fault it. Well, we've said it over and over again. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> twist is really amazing. Knockout, and, and isn't it? It's a knockout. You just twist. don't. You don't. You don't. You, I suppose you could say they don't give you enough clues, but you just don't see it coming. There's no way. I wonder if if you're Korean and you're expecting a rich house to have a nuclear bunker. <laughs> maybe, maybe you might have guessed. The one thing I might mark it down for, as I say, is this weird thing where. They're kind of glorifying the criminality at this at this end of the spectrum, as it were, like, like bread does. It, it's this amazing thing, isn't it? You know, like I say, the, the, the Kevin, the lead character, is not he's not very honest. He, he sells his mate down the river straight away, but you can't help but root for them. Is the rich family portrayed, you know, cartoonishly bad and and evil? Are they? Are they drawn to uh, caricature, uh, uh, you know, as as bad people or as un- unsympathetic? Is that the biggest I mean, failing of this movie? Uh, they're definitely painted being unfeeling, but not actively unfeeling. It's because they swish around and swash around life, not knowing consequences. You see, and I think that's almost explicit, isn't it? When they're talking about how people smell. Mm. Then uh, there's no hate or malice in what they're saying. They just say, "I don't want that smell in my car," kind of thing. It's very matter of fact. Yeah, they're not denigrating yeah. the person and that kind of thing, uh, and they just don't understand the life that other people lead, which leads them to being callous. I think I don't think they're painted as being morally bad or morally vacant. Even you know, they're, they're yeah, quite nice thoughtless. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- that's my only misgiving. A nine point five for the plot. Wow. Easily. Hey, well, let's do special effects, Paul. Which moments ago <laughs> yeah. you didn't even know. You didn't even know. I don't really want to do special effects for this. Well, let's talk about production values then. The whole production values, the music, special effects, etc. Okay, yeah, special effects, but broadened out to other values of the production. Yeah, really strong. I love the music. Uh, I love the atmosphere of the house. I love the fact that it's now. Uh, as I understand, a house created with special special VFX. So I'm going to score it in nine. You won't guess, you couldn't guess, that there's CGI all over this film. And it's also so beautifully designed, as, as I say, that, that, that the house is part of the story. It's a character in its own right. As is the, the Kim's house as well, come to think of it. Uh, all this less clear... You know, in some senses, that's not as well contextualized. Other than yeah. it's obviously really poor, but um, so yeah, it's got to be a nine, hasn't it? Easily, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. 
Finally. What about Edge of Seat Thrill? Oh, it's absolutely thrilling, yeah. It, it's it's beautifully paced. It's absolutely beautifully paced. As you say, just when, you, you know, the Kim family start off in the hole, things start to go right for them. You're thinking, oh, look, things are looking up. And you feel that they're maybe pushing things a bit far. But, you know, it works out for them. You're constantly nervous, as you say. As you say, when the park go on a holiday and they have a party, you're thinking, oh, shit, they shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> They're jeopardizing everything. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're really worried for them. <laughs> so well-paced, isn't it? And then, you know, that's the point where they reveal this new information that you didn't have. And, you know, it does not outstay its welcome either. It's not too long, this film. So... But this is another nine, easily, isn't it? For me, it's a ten. For me, it's a ten. I, I was just thrilled all the, all the way. Just brilliantly. I, just some rounding off comments to say about this movie. I, I really like what you said about the dichotomy of sympathy that you have for the Lee, the Lee, the Lee Kim family. It's like, like you're really rooting for them at the same time. You know they shouldn't be doing what they do, yeah. <laughs> even given the excuse of their circumstances, you know, so I, I love the fact, and somehow that kind of forces you to really side with them in a certain sort of way, I don't know why, how or why that works, but it does but what I would say is like, you know, for me I'm not sure it gets taken to a level that's in the movie that's noticeable, but is he asking who is the parasite here? Well, that's that it, isn't it? The, the name of the film, exactly mm. I think he is asking that exact question yeah. I mean, ultimately, the political message is not very well drawn, is it? I mean, you, uh, in it's a like sense. any earworm pop song, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like it's designed, like you know, songs by U two. You know, the, all that imagery is designed to make you think of the song that you want to think of, rather than the song <laughs> they wrote. Yeah. You know, and I think the political commentary here is exactly the same, isn't it? Yeah. It's drawn yeah. in a watercolor that lets you, you know, frame it in your own way, which I think is successful art in a certain sort of way. Overall, where do you score this? Overall, the sum is great in the parts. I'm going to score it my first 10, I think. This is a 10 for me. Do you think this is a perfect movie? Could not be improved. It could, well, I mean, it can be improved, but it couldn't be improved beyond my expectations. I, I'm really reluctant to give a 10 because I think it's dangerous. It's a dangerous place to go. It's got to be a 9.5. Look, that app goes all the way to 11, Rich. You know that for a fact. Um,. And, you know, you may think that we're overselling this film. I'm no, we're not. We on, on Rotten probably. Tomatoes, it's got 98% approval wow. rate. Yeah. It's such a good film. I've heard they're doing a t- this talk of a TV series. Wow. Um, I don't know how I'm it's going to I'm not sure you can really relate. follow this. No, quite. But you, know, you can understand why they want to exploit of Korean, 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 <laughs> Korean TV. Yeah. So, uh, a K-drama out of it. Oh, well. Um, but, yeah. Definitely see this movie if you haven't already. Brilliant. It's full recommend. Okay, so Parasite over and done with. Plucked off our body, flicked away down the loo. On to next week, Richard, you know. Okay. I mean, for me, there's only really one choice to give you, and that is it's on the cinemas right now. Another live at the box office movie, which is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Will that be something you're interested in seeing? Sure, yeah. I mean, I was a big fan of Ghostbusters. Ah, good. Why not? I mean, I, oh, you won't. I, oh. I, no, I loved it, but I never actually remembered anything about the movie. So, what would be useful is that you can come up with all the facts <laughs> about Dan Aykroyd and 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 and, uh, and the other guy. 
All right. Well, Ghostbusters Afterlife, then, if it's still in the cinema when you're hearing this podcast, go see it about what we think. Thank you, Paul. Until the uh, next week. Ciao for now. Goodbye. Thank you.